Well, good morning. We want to welcome you this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. If you are brand new with us this morning, visiting for the first time in town, out of town, thank you so much for taking the time to be together as the body of Christ. My name is Charles Gwynn. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Paradise Valley. And again, we're just excited for you to be here. Uh, Our goal is to bring honor and glory to God, to preach his word as accurately as possible, to share the truth of of what God wants us to hear. And uh, so we are going through a series called follow the servant in our world our world wants us to follow a lot of different things and my goal for us as believers as the church is to follow where Jesus led and obviously Jesus was a servant and so uh, we're going through the book of Mark the gospel of Mark and uh, so we're not going to be talking a bunch about the Olympics today even though the Olympics are upon us that's, uh, that's pretty cool. I, I enjoy the Olympics, and so hopefully you've had a chance to kind of start taking in some of the Olympics. Uh, skateboarding was for the first time ever. I watched some of that. I was a little bit of a skateboarder growing up, not anywhere close to what those guys can do, but it's pretty amazing to see some of that kind of stuff. But if you do kind of want to hear a message concerning like the Olympics, that was back on February 14th, uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th. If you weren't here, you can go online, YouTube channel, or on our website, pvcc.info. You can check out that sermon. It did kind of have to do with the Olympics. But today we're not talking about the Olympics. We're in Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 20. And the title of the message this morning is uh, Jesus Doesn't Fit in Your Box. Jesus Doesn't Fit in Your Box. And uh, I don't know if some of you know the, the song, I've mentioned it before, Jesus uh, <clears throat> and the Little White Box, okay? And it was a, a song that I learned growing up at camp. Uh, it kind of goes like, uh, if I had a little white box to put my Jesus in, I'd take him out and hug his neck and put him back again. And, and I, I don't know why that song was so popular when I was a kid growing up at camp. I think maybe it was because of the fact that there's a couple of verses that say, like, if I had a little black box that, to keep my Satan in, which that's a little bit weird in the song itself. But it said I'd take him out and I'd smash his face. And, of course, as a kid, you know, that, that was a fun thing to, you know, smash his face. You know, so I don't know if that was the reason I really liked the song or not. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're going through this series and, uh, and as I look at today's passage, you know, we, we had this idea of, of the, the, the religious leaders at the time. And as we looked in, in the past several uh, weeks in, in chapter 1 and as we begin in chapter 2 of Mark, uh, we, we've seen these different uh, things that are taking place with the religious leaders, the Pharisees, scribes. And <clears throat> we've seen last week we talked about this idea of, you know, where Matthew was called by Jesus and he was willing to follow Jesus and immediately he was willing to invite people into his home. And I wonder for us again, are we willing to invest in one another? Are we willing to invite one another into our homes or or non-Christian friends that don't know or don't have a relationship with Jesus? And so again, my prayer as we continue through this series is that we would work on areas in our lives that we're trying to be better at when it comes to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Not just a Sunday morning goer, but a true disciple of Jesus. Where are areas that I can improve on? When was the last time I had someone into my home? When was the last time I reached out to a non-Christian co-worker or non-Christian relative or some of those type of things and just shared the love of Jesus with them? Am I, am I doing those things? Am I working at those things? And I, again, going back to this idea of this little box, you know, the, this theology 
or this doctrine maybe of, of putting Jesus in a box is something that, you know, we, we all kind of do maybe in subconscious kind of ways where we, we have this mentality in our mind where there's certain things when it comes to the church or it comes to my relationship with Jesus that, you know, these are areas that I'm going to work on, and these are areas that I'm, I'm willing to, to have a part of my relationship with God. But then there's some areas where I'm just going to put Jesus in a box and I'll say, Jesus, you just stay here. And, and if it's not convenient for me, if it's something that doesn't quite work into my schedule, if I, if I don't quite have time for it, then you, you'll just you'll be hang out in this box, Jesus, and then I'll get, get you out when I'm ready. Okay, and if, if things are going really well, that's, you know, a lot of times that's where we put Jesus, is kind of in the box, up on the shelf, and we think, well, you know, things are going well, I got it handled on my own, and maybe there's times where things start to get a little bit precarious, and we start, we're like, we gotta, where, where is that Jesus at? You know, I, I need him right now in my life, and so many times as Christians, we're putting Jesus in a box, and here in this passage from Mark chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, we see that, again, the, the religious leaders of that day wanting Jesus to fit in their box, what, what they thought he should look like, the Messiah. And so, you know, the truth is, is that Jesus didn't fit in their box back in the day, and Jesus is not going to fit in your box today. Will you pray with me? Father, our desire again is for you to speak boldly into our lives, that we would hear your voice this morning, and that my voice would be quieted, and that your voice through your Holy Spirit's leading and directing on our lives would be heard loud and clear. And so God, may you be glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so there's three things that I want us to look at as we look at this passage here. And so I'm going to mention those, and then we're going to read the verses. But there's this, this idea of the box that the religious leaders, the people at the time, are looking for Jesus to get in. And yet Jesus responds with this idea of the bridegroom. And then there's this idea of belief or unbelief. So there's these three B's that kind of show up as we go through this. And so will you, if you're able this morning, will you stand with me as we read from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 18. And we're going to go down through verse 22. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come... When the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If, it, if he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into into new wineskins. You may be seated. So there's this box that the people of that time are putting others in. And they wanted Jesus and his disciples to be in that same box. The one that required them to follow man-made traditions. 
You know, we, we, we've always done it this way, right? As a church, we think, well, we, th- those are the things that we've always done. This is how we've always done it. Uh, and you think in your own mind, do you personally have any boxes that you at times want to put Jesus in when it comes to your relationship with him? When it comes to the church as a whole, you know, I think of Jesus, you know, sometimes people think, oh, I think Jesus should be in the, you know, softer music box. That's the box that Jesus would be in. That's the one he would like to, to, to you know, be worshipped better in. And someone else might say, well, Jesus is in the louder, more upbeat box. Or maybe Jesus would be in the, let's stick with what we know as a church, what has worked in the past box. But then others are like, no, Jesus would be in the box that says, hey, let's try something new. And, and so we have these boxes within the church. And we think, well, we Jesus, you know, this is what Jesus wants. And oftentimes it's, well, what we want, and we want to put Jesus' stamp on it, right? And there are these boxes as Christians that we, we try to impress upon one another. And we try to put Jesus in. And people at this time were so concerned about following their version of God. And their man-made traditions and rules. That they missed it when God showed up and was right there in their presence. And the religious people at this time, they they missed it because they wanted Jesus to get in the same man-made boxes that they were making everybody else get in so that they could feel like they were in control. They wanted to be the ones that kind of directed the people and and dictated what was going to take place. And guess what Jesus said? He's all, pass, nah, I I don't think so. It's not going to go that way, you know. He could care less what the people the religious leaders at the time thought. And, and, and so he says, you know, that's not how it's going to go. And so you have these Pharisees and even the disciples of John who were regularly fasting. And according to the Barclay commentary, the stricter Jews fasted on two days every week, on Mondays and Thursdays, which that seems pretty good. You know, I, I try to fast once a week. And, and so Barclay also, though, says that the trouble about the Pharisees was that in far too many cases, their fasting was for self-display. It was to call attention of men to their goodness. And they actually whitened their faces and went around with messy garments on their fast days so that, that no one could miss the fact that they were fasting. And so everyone would see and admire their devotion. You know, they kind of went around, oh man, I'm, I'm fasting today. And I, I actually, <clears throat> I'm convicted of this, not so much that aspect of it, but sometimes on, on Mondays I try to fast. And so someone will offer me food or a cake and I'm like, Sorry, I can't have that. Well, why? Well, I'm, I'm fasting. You know, I, I try not to even say, because, you know, verses like this, kind of like, oh, wait. They were all about saying, hey, look at me. Look at how great I am. I'm, I'm so holy. I'm so spiritual that I fast twice a week, you know. And, and we even, Barclay goes on to say, it says uh, it was to call attention um, of their de- of their devotion to God, that they felt that this special act of extra vo- devotion would bring them to the notice of God. Their fasting was a ritual and a self-displaying ritual at that. And the question here in verse 18, again, as we read, it says, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? 
And this insinuates this idea that they didn't think Jesus was over, overly religious. You know, hey, you're not even doing what you're supposed to be doing from a religious standpoint. And again, they're, they're struggling because Jesus is saying he's the son of God, which, of course, they said was blasphemy. And, and he's saying he's the Messiah. And like, how is this even possible? You're not even fasting like you're supposed to be as a religious leader. So for sure you're not the Messiah kind of thing. And they wanted to put Jesus in a box, and it wasn't the Messiah box, and yet that is exactly who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. He is the bridegroom that would eventually go to the cross for our sins. And so again, what box are you trying to put Jesus in today? Is it the box that says, as long as I tend on Sunday mornings, as, as long as I you know, tithe, as long as I spend some time here and there praying to God, you know, that's the box that you know, I can just do whatever else I want to during the week kind of box, right? It's the, the box that says, I'm not overly committed. You know, the box that might say, are, are, are you, I just want a little bit of Jesus. You know, I don't want too much of Jesus. Because if I get too much of Jesus, that might require me to actually change what I watch on TV. Or that actually might change the way I treat my spouse or my children. That might actually change the what I do at work. Because if I have too much Jesus, you know, that actually might cause me to live a different life. And so we want Jesus to be in the box that's not too much Jesus, but just enough Jesus to make me feel good about living here on this earth. And see, if you're, you aren't careful... You're going to miss out on getting to experience all that Jesus has to offer. Because it was happening right here in front of these people's faces. They had these boxes that they thought the Messiah should be in. And, and yet Jesus is the Messiah. And they missed it. See, Jesus doesn't fit in your box. And the Pharisees fasted as they miserably waited for God. And yet... On the other hand, you have these sinners feasting as they joyfully met with God. I think sometimes we get caught up in our religion instead of having the relationship that God wants us to have. And so in this passage, there is this box that the people are trying to put Jesus in. And then Jesus mentions the bridegroom. Verse 19, Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. It's interesting, this question in verse 18 again is asked of, well, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And again, Jesus responds by stating that it's when the bridegroom... <coughs> is taken away, then that's when the fasting should take place. But not while the bridegroom is still with them. And according to the Hughes commentary, after an ancient Jewish wedding, the couple, they didn't go and honeymoon. In fact, what they did is spent a, a week or so with an open house, okay? And they would have this continual feasting, and they would have the celebration, and their attendants from the wedding, they would be there, and those attendants would have been asked to make sure to kind of basically treat them as king and queen. They, they would dote on their every need and they would they would have these close friends that would attend attend their uh, like I said their their desires or their their needs that they had that week and there there's these guests you know that would come and be a part of that and they would all be exempted from all the fasting 
through a rabbinical ruling which said this, all in attendance on behalf of the bridegroom are relieved of all religious observations, observances which would lessen their joy. Meaning that, again, that they would go through this week and they wouldn't take the time to fast because they're all in celebration of this wedding. And they would have this banquet, and the, the wedding imagery here is amazing. It's, you know, it has a suggestion of the sense of new beginnings. And we, as we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we have this new beginning. That this, we're created new. Our old is gone, and our new has come. And, and so there should be this celebration that takes place. If we're in this relationship with Jesus, Jesus was teaching them that a, that a new relationship had come with the bridegroom, which was himself, a relationship which can only be expressed in terms of joy and gladness and celebration, not in fasting and, and downcast spirit. And Jesus had already made it clear that he came to convert the sinners, not to complement the self-righteous. And now he told them that he had come to bring gladness and not sadness. And Jesus is both the center and the cause of the joy that his disciples are experiencing. So he doesn't back down. In fact, he doesn't pull any punches when he refers to himself as the bridegroom, which later on we're going to see all throughout Scripture in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 through 33, where, where Jesus is the bridegroom of his bride, the church. You know, he, he's saying who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the head of the church, and again, he's not pulling any punches. He's saying exactly who he is, and, and fasting, of course, as you look throughout Scripture, was associated with, like, concern or sadness. You know, I think about the one that always comes to my mind right away from Scripture, and there's others, but was, was Esther, you know, and Mordecai, and Mordecai says, you know, hey, the Jews are going to be wiped out. You're going to be right along with them being wiped out, but we, we got to spend some time fasting, in seeking God's wisdom. And so again, there's this context when it comes to fasting of uncertainty. And there's a need for God's direction to take place. And a lot of times it's not a joyous time. It's kind of a time where you're like, oh man, the country that we live in right now is in tough shape. We need to spend some time fasting and praying for our country. It's not when things are going well, but when things are going not so well. In fact, then Jesus even refers to the fact that there's going to be a time where there's going to be a need for fasting to take place. In verse 20 it says, But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. On that day. Jesus' reference here refers to the mourning over his death. You know, there is going to be a time where he's going to go to the cross, and he was looking into the future to the day when the cross would become reality for him. And he knew that the cross was before him, and because of that, there was going to be a time of fasting and mourning. And yet, praise the Lord, even that short time, those three days in the grave, were overcome by the fact that Jesus arose from the grave, Amen. That's not just an Easter story, that's an everyday story, amen? Yeah, because that's, that's, we have joy that the bridegroom is going to come again for his church. And so I'm excited, and Jesus wants us to be excited. And the Pharisees and the people at that time, they wanted, they wanted them to just follow the, the religious traditional guidelines. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not what I'm here for. 
So through all this, Jesus challenges the religious leader's agenda of putting Jesus in a box, and he stands firm on the claim that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. And basically, he says, what are you going to do about it? You know, hey, hey, this is who I say I am. I'm not going to follow your your traditions, man-made. I'm not going to follow those things to try to fit in. But what are you going to do with me? And I wonder if the same question is being asked even today. Jesus wasn't someone that just wanted to try to fit in with the world that he was a part of. And he doesn't want us to just fit in with the world that we're a part of. He wants us to stand firm on truth. He wants us to live out our relationship with him. And, and so he's saying to us, what, what are we going to do with Jesus? Do, are we going to put him in the box? You know, when, when our non-Christian friends kind of question us on why we believe what we believe, we're like, well, you know, it's just something I grew up with. It's something that my parents taught me. No, it, it's something that I am going to go to the grave proclaiming the name of Jesus as God. I'm going to proclaim the name of Jesus as my one Lord and Savior. I'm going to proclaim that I have hope for eternity because of Jesus Christ. You see, I'm not going to put him in a box, but I'm going to live out what I believe. And and that's the third thing I want us to see here this morning. As we get down to verses 21 and 22, and there's this concept of belief or unbelief. Are you going to take Jesus for who he says he is? Or are you not? Because what he says, who he says he is is kind of new. It's brand new for these people at this time. And so verse 21 says, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. So something new, you don't patch it, you don't sew it to something old. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. And once again, Jesus is saying, I am God. And that was like, you know, that was very, like, hard to hear at this time. And he's saying, I'm bringing something new, and you have to decide. Will you have belief or unbelief? And the two brief parables of verse 21 and 22 applied to the the newness of Jesus' radical message of the kingdom of God and and its incompatibility with the existing forms of religion and society. Both parables speak not only of incompatibility, but the destructive results by trying to mesh the old and the new together. It just wasn't going to work. There there was destruction that was going to take place. And in verse 21, again, Jesus said that that trying to combine the new with the old would be like tearing patches from a a new unshrunk garment and sewing them on an old garment. And you would ruin the new garment, and when the old garment was washed, the patches would shrink. You know, you, you have some cloth that would shrink, and so again, that would begin to pull away from the sewing that you use to try to patch the old garment. And it kind of reminds me of my grandpa. He, he would have, you know, he was a farmer, and so he had overalls, and he just had some regular pants. But he would, he would I remember my grandma would, would fix his pants with other blue jean patches, 
and they would be like, they would take glue. I don't know what kind of glue. I don't, it was just like messy. It was like messy glue. I just looked at my grandpa, and I thought he looked like a hobo out there farming, you know. And so he had these patches, and there was times where the patches would start to like shrink as they would wash them. And I just think about this idea of taking the old, or taking something new and trying to patch the old with it. And it just wasn't going to work. They, they weren't going to mesh together. And it's impossible to stitch Jesus into a tattered religious garment. You see that in the passage? It's, it's hard to take Jesus something new and vibrant and try to stitch him into something old and religious that was man-made, that, that wasn't working. And the new fabric which Jesus Christ cannot be interwoven with the tired, the tired fibers of the old religion, it was, it was simply going to tear apart. And Jesus wasn't going to fit in their box back then. And again, he's not fitting into your box even today. The new that Jesus brings is incompatible with the old. He has not come to patch up an old system that does not match the revolutionary rule of God. He's, he's not simply a reformer of the old, but one who will transform it. There can be no concessions, no accommodations, and no compromises with the old. And the point is not that the old is wrong or evil, but that its time has passed. And in verse 22, Jesus referred to an ancient practice in which the skins of goats were stripped off as nearly whole as possible and partly tanned so that they could be filled with new wine. And their natural elasticity and strength would allow the fermenting new wine to expand. However, if new wine was put into old wine skins, those old wine skins were brittle and inflexible. And that condition would cause them to burst, and both wine and wine skins would be lost. They would, they would be torn and ripped, and the wine would drain out on the ground. And the new life that Christ brings is expanding. And I like to try to keep my stuff nice. Uh, this, is, this is one of the first generation's uh, iPad minis. And man, I, I just really enjoyed this. This was one of my favorite uh, electronic devices because it's big enough where you can read stuff but it, it's not so big that it it just nicely fits in my hand you know I could almost some of my pants have big enough pockets where I could put it in my pocket in fact there was a time where I saw commercials where people like hello you know this was kind of close to a cell phone size but you know this iPad mini was one of, one of the best tools that I enjoyed using but as as much as I enjoyed it it got to a point where guess what it was outdated they, it wouldn't update anymore. The, the new you know, operating system, it wouldn't go on there. And so, of course, the new apps and new technology, it didn't go on here. And so it wouldn't work. It, essentially, what needed to take place was I need to update my device so that all the updated technology would show up. Well, guess what? That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, hey, you need an update. You, you can't just stick with, with the old. You can't just, just depend on man-made traditions. But I'm here to make things new, to make you whole, to wash your sins away. No longer are you to live in this world the old way, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need an update. 
And guess what? The update, it's been coming from this source for thousands of years. This is the source where you need to continually be updated from. Because God's word is alive and it's active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And as we use it to go out into the world and make a difference for him, it also makes a difference in our lives as well. In fact, uh, I just think about this old and the new. And if you want to turn over to Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, it speaks a little bit about this, the, the old covenant, the old law, and then the new. And it says from chapter 10 of Hebrews, starting in verse 1, it says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away your sins. But if you jump down to verse 9, it says, Then he said, Here am I. Speaking about the Savior, Jesus. Here am I. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. You see, the, the old, it wasn't doing the job. It was good. It was what God had put into place. It was part of his plan. But it wasn't going to be the cure-all. You see, Jesus Christ, he's the one. He's the update. He's the one that came to save us from our sins. He's the one that gives us purpose and meaning. The old law, it, it can't save you. Salvation will only be through the grace offered by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And in your mind this morning, is there belief or unbelief? And does that belief change how you live? Or do you just have Jesus in the box that says, just enough, but not too much? And through the eyes of faith, Jesus looks like the presence of God. Through the eyes of belief, Jesus looks like a threat a dangerous, charismatic revolutionary. And I think about these religious leaders at the time, and I'm sure they would have loved to have Jesus on their side, you know, to, to kind of pull them over to where they were and, and, and have this guy that, that can do amazing, miraculous things, kind of fall in line with who they wanted him to be. And Jesus does exactly the opposite. He's not willing to do what other humans want him to do. He's only willing to do exactly what God the Father wants him to do and says exactly what the Father wants him to say and, and does exactly what God wants him to do. And, and the Pharisees would, would love again to have, them, have him follow them, but this is never going to take place. It, Jesus you know, didn't come to live up to their standards. He came to live up to God's perfect standard, and he did. And, and people, even today, are still trying to find fault with Jesus. Some of them come to church, but they're never really come to Christ. 
See, a lot of people are willing to, to come to church, but they're never really come, willing to come to Christ and surrender everything over to him. See, religion, it's an interesting thing. It can open your eyes or it can make you blind. And, and so I wonder this morning, can you see what God wants you to see? So I'd like for us to look at Jesus again. And again, look at the Pharisees and, and the people and the religious leaders. What do you see? When you look at Jesus and then you look at, in the mirror of your life, do, do you see a reflection of Jesus? Do you look more like Jesus today than you did a year ago? Do you look more like Jesus than just the religion that you're a part of. See, my guess is that some of these Pharisees even probably eventually turned their life over to Jesus after he was crucified. After they crucified him, they, 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 some of them probably were cut to the heart. And many of them eventually probably saw themselves in, in the light of truth and, and repented of their religious blindness and hypocrisy. But listen to me now. I guarantee you there was probably still some that were never willing to get past their religious blindness. They resisted Jesus until it was too late. And they mostly, they most likely died in their sins. And they face eternity without hope, without a savior. Doomed by their own stubborn unbelief. We can't claim Christ as our Lord but continually try and put him in a box. It doesn't work that way. You can't say, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life, but hey, you got to hang out here for a while. It's not, that's not how it works. He tells you what to do. See, you, you, remember, you don't get to, to follow Jesus on your terms, but on his terms. And you can't follow Jesus Christ unless you're willing to submit to his authority and commands. And that's not easy at times. But this morning, we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you need to surrender everything over to him, to surrender to his authority in your life, that you're no longer going to say, oh, yeah, I, Jesus, I, I keep putting you in this box. No, you're not going to continue to do that. You're going to say, Jesus, you're the Lord. You're in the driver's seat. You're going to do, I'm going to allow you in my life to do whatever you need to do. I would encourage you, if, if you need to surrender everything over to him, maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, and for the very first time this morning, you need to be immersed into Christ. You need to be baptized into Christ to receive the gift of the forgiveness of your sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. We'd invite you to come. We're going to sing a, a song of invitation. It's on uh, in your bulletin there, I believe, 332. And if you have a decision to make this morning, we'd invite you to come. Will you stand with us this morning?